Well, amen, and what amazing music this morning, and appropriately so, Elizabeth Ann, incredible, as usual. Uh, we haven't heard that in a while, but it brings back a lot of great memories of your great music. 42 years is a long time to do anything, but what a blessing for First Baptist Church. My favorite journalist, Clay Reynolds, called me the other day working on an article about Nancy and asked what I thought, and our, I'm not sure exactly what I said, except basically two things. Uh, first had to do with musical excellence. I don't think Nancy's ever missed a note. I've never, I've never heard it. My highly trained ear didn't catch that, if, uh, <clears throat> if you ever made a mistake. Uh, we've got such an incredible choir, but a big part of that choir has been the consistency of the piano behind it and driving that, and uh, that's been just tremendous for our church. Wednesday night, I was locking doors up in here uh, after prayer meeting and heard the choir in there doing what they do on Wednesday nights, and I could hear the piano, and I thought that must be a really uh, unique feeling to be in there doing that for the last time. But uh, the other thing I, I told Clay was that, that stands out for me about Nancy and her music is just her humble spirit about her service and her faithfulness to it, just week after week after year after decade after 42 years. Uh, I feel like I've been here forever and I haven't been here for half of it. And uh, so just what a great run, uh, just uh, honoring Christ, exalting Christ through the keyboard. Um, sometimes people, churches have high maintenance employees and, and Nancy's just been a low maintenance employee, meaning just I don't think she's ever complained about the keyboards or the anything, you know, the, I don't know. Maybe I didn't hear it, but uh, just a, what a remarkable career of faithfulness and uh, humility. And she's thinking, quit talking about me and move on. So, but thank you, Nancy. For, on behalf of the whole church empire here, we, we're trying to express it a lot of different ways. But just thank you for what you've done musically and for being who you are. We just appreciate you so much. We want to turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians to chapter 4. If you haven't been with us, we've been working our way through this challenging book. It has a lot to do with the Apostle Paul addressing a church that he helped start, or he was the primary church planter for, and he writes back letters to them to encourage them, to guide them away from the, the problems that they tend to gravitate toward, but he loves them, and with compassion he writes. Last week we, we heard him saying, words like this, but we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Corinthians, I want you to know your, your founding pastor is your servant. I'm, I'm not your superior. I'm there to serve you. And then he said, and the light, the God who said the light shall shine out of the darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So Paul's talking about the light of the gospel shining through. Now that's where we want to pick up uh, this morning and look at just quickly four verses because uh, we've got some more music coming here in, in a little bit. But four verses, and the four verses, 7 through 10, are really one sentence in the original text. We break them up in English translations, but they're really one sentence. Uh, the Greek New Testament's written with participles, those I-N-G words, and they hang as uh, modifiers or uh, ways of describing the central thought that comes to us in verse 7. 
Verse 7, Paul says, But we have this treasure in clay jars, or jars of clay, or the New American has it, in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. This is a little piece of earthen vessel uh, from Caesarea, Israel, on the Mediterranean coast. Uh, my early trips to Israel, uh, I picked up pottery, and it was, it's just everywhere. It's amazing, uh, you know, ancient stuff. And it's just, you can just, if you look around, it's just all around you, kind of like collecting arrowheads in the right places around here. Uh, and then I was told later that you're not supposed to do that, and you're not supposed to pick it up and take it with you. So I will never do that again as long as I live, I promise. But this one was from Caesarea, but it's uh, obviously from the curve of it, you can tell, and the, and the decorative stripes that are on it, you can tell that it's part of an earthen vessel, kind of like a clay pot. Now you get plants at Walmart or something, and they're plastic things that don't last very long, but they used to come in clay pots, and you've all broken one or two of those in your life. Thought about bringing one of those and breaking it as a visual aid, but I decided against that. But, but they're cheap, and they're just basically there to carry something that's more important. And Paul says, that's what it's like with us. Now I've said, I think, the last two weeks, when you come to the Apostle Paul, maybe I said it on Wednesday night, in the life of the Apostle Paul, nobody out-credentials Paul. In his pre-Christian state, as just a Jew, he was schooled by Gamaliel, the theologian of theologians. He had the best of training. He's, he had the best pre-Christian resume imaginable. And then he has this incredible uh, transformation on the road to Damascus, and he's converted to Christ. He is labeled and acknowledged by all, including Peter, uh, to be one of the apostles Nobody's got a stronger resume, greater credentials. Nobody makes a greater contribution to the expansion of the gospel through missions or to the contributions to the New Testament through the writing of the epistles. Nobody adds more to who we are as Christians today than the Apostle Paul, except, of course, for Jesus. But when he talks about himself, he writes with great humility. And he says, we have this treasure. Well, what is the treasure? The treasure is the gospel. The treasure is Christ. The treasure is the things of Christ, the things that are dear to us, the things that we are all about. That's our treasure. Now, sometimes Christians don't act like that's their treasure. They get way more excited about a winning season or the next gadget or the next this or that or the next achievement. Or... But as Christians, our real treasure is supposed to be Christ our highest treasure is Jesus, the gospel, the greatest, most amazing things in our lives ought to be that we are saved, not because we deserve it, but because a gracious God has come into our world and redeemed us. That's an immeasurable treasure. And Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And the earthen vessels he's referring to himself and those with him and those like him and those who would name the name of Christ. He says, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. 
I've got three pictures that James pulled off the computer to show you. These are not my pictures. My pictures are not this good, so we'll pull those up one at a time here. These are clay jars <clears throat> from the Dead Sea area. They're earthen vessels. They're just basic pottery, like you get a potted plant in. Uh, some of them you see have lids, uh, and that's uh, what the Dead Sea Scrolls, when they were found down at Qumran on the Dead Sea, by the Bedouin shepherds, they were taking their goats to Bethlehem to market, to sell, and they lost one, and in searching for that, they found this, a bunch of clay jars. Now you and I, if we found, if I went in a cave at Qumran and found a clay jar, I would think I had hit the jackpot. I would say this is incredible, and this, is, this itself is a treasure, and it would be. It's an incredible artifact as a part of a bigger picture of what uh, we know of that area. It would be a treasure, but uh, in its day, the pots were nothing. They were containers. I grew up in the printing world, and we did work for uh, the ad agencies of Atlanta, and I saw a lot of really cool things that were done to market and to package. And you can do amazing things with four-color process printing and some metal foil and some die-cutting and embossing. You can do amazing things to present packages that make you want what's in the package. But whatever you're buying, it should never be that the package is greater than what's in the package. It's all about what's actually there, that that's what you're purchasing. I did come back from London with a, a can of cookies, and the cookies were like probably worth a, a dollar, but the can was so cool that you had to buy the cookies. But, Usually it's the other way around, and, and what Paul's talking about is, man, we're just earthen vessels. These are earthen vessels, typical earthen vessels from the New Testament age. The next slide is what was in that. Uh, looks better back on the back straight. Sorry, choir, you get the little picture, they get the big one. That three portions that would all go together into one scroll and that is called the Great Isaiah Scroll that was found at Qumran. It's the, the best of the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's the entire book of Isaiah, all rolled up and stuffed in an earthen vessel. It is an incredible treasure. It, you could, there's nobody that could appraise that and say it's worth this or that. Some museum might buy it from another museum or something, but, but there's no way to put a number on that. Your Bible, whether you've got a King James or one of the modern translations, it's, it's largely in the Old Testament grounded on the Masoretic text, which is about a thousand years old today, or about a thousand years after the New Testament age. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, that date was backed up over another thousand years from the Masoretic text back to the Dead Sea Scrolls, to the great Isaiah Scroll. Uh, Listen to a YouTube analysis this week of the Dead Sea Scrolls and particularly the Isaiah Scroll. And it came down to about 18 letters out of the, you know, if you've read through the Bible and you've tried to read Isaiah, you know that it's 66 long, challenging chapters. And out of all of that, there were about 18 letters difference between the, the 1000 AD manuscript and the 100, year, 100 BC manuscript over a millennium older and the, the process of transcribing that and, and, and copying that down through the ages 
resulted in about 18 letters being different, and it just was a matter of spellings and had absolutely nothing to do with theological change at all. It was an incredible confirmation of the accuracy of the Old Testament as we have it in the Masoretic text that rolls over into our modern translations. Very, very encouraging for Bible readers. But here's the great Isaiah scroll, the, the third slide that the choir already sees on their screen. There's uh, just a portion of it. You see four panels of it. These panels are about yay high, maybe a, 11 inches high. They're like, almost like eight and a half by 11 sheets. And then they're sewn together. If you could look at that closely enough, you'd see a little stitching where those are sewn together to create a scroll that's rolled up and kept in a clay jar. Why they put them in the jars and put them in the caves will continue to be a debate. But they were carefully preserved in that dry climate down there for all those years. A remarkable treasure in an earthen vessel. Now that's the, the perfect image of what Paul's describing. He's saying, we're just, hey, we're just preachers. We're just, you know, and he could, he could be boasting, he could be bragging about who he was and what he's done. In one of his epistles, he almost does that before he pulls the plug on himself and, and, and communicates his humility. But he's saying, we're just clay jars. But we carry around in our being an amazing treasure. We carry Christ to the nations. That's what we do. Now, it's not easy. It's incredibly tough. He says in verse 8, it says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Now, like I said, in the, in the Greek New Testament, they're really participles for those of you that are into that kind of thing and know what it is. So literally, he says, we have it in earthen vessels, being hard-pressed in every way, but not being crushed. Being perplexed, but not despairing. The tenaciousness of the Apostle Paul is remarkable. This keeps on, he's the energizer bunny of world missions. It just keeps on going. And they stone him and he gets up and goes. They, they, they beat him and he gets up and he goes. And he just keeps on keeping on until the Lord called him out. He says, we're, we're crushed, we're beat up, we're oppressed. But we do not uh, despair. We keep on with the mission. In verse 9 he says, persecuted or literally being persecuted but not being forsaken. And he never came to any kind of feeling that the Lord had given up on him. He didn't always understand the Lord. He prayed that whatever the thorn in the flesh was, that that would go away, but it was not. And he was told that God's grace would be sufficient, and that was sufficient for Paul. And in that grace, he continued on uh, being persecuted, but not with a sense of being forsaken by God. Struck down many times, but not destroyed. Uh, only God could end the career of the Apostle Paul. You and I are well served to remember that, to be mindful of that. You and I are in his hands. Uh, he is sovereign. Always, verse 10, always caring about in the body, the dying of Jesus, sort of an interesting phrase. Uh, I... I think maybe he's talking about the message of Jesus and the death of Jesus. But I think also there's this ongoing Pauline theme in his writings about his own spiritual death that he is 
uh, dead in Christ and alive in Christ and a new creation in Christ, we're carrying about in the body or in our, our frail humanity the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. So that the world will see, so that that light that he talked about last week that shines into the world would shine through us. So people would open the package and not marvel at the container. Oh, what an amazing clay pot. No, look at the Isaiah scroll. When the, the Bedouin guy pulled it out, uh, he went to market, uh, never imagining the treasure that he had discovered, but pretty well aware that the pots were not where the value was, but these ancient writings had to have some kind of value. And oh boy, did they ever. Uh, an incredible contribution to biblical studies and the analysis of the biblical text. You uh, can come up with all kind of reasons why you're not up to speed <coughs> to serve the Lord. And we'd all probably say, yeah, that's right. Uh, and none of us are what we need to be or ought to be to carry so precious a cargo. <coughs> We're just clay jars but the treasure that we carry, Jesus, is the very treasure that the world needs. You are on a sacred mission as bearers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I are challenged to remember that today and especially tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we're grateful this morning that we have in Jesus a salvation that's uh, totally incredible, absolutely undeserved. It's a reflection of your love and your mercy and your goodness and your grace. If we stand at all today, we stand by your mercy as recipients of amazing grace. So Lord, help us to rejoice in the privilege that's ours in our and our simple humanity of carrying the eternally glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations of the earth today. Help us to be found faithful. We're celebrating faithfulness today. Help us all to be found faithful in the task that you entrust to us so that whatever you call us to do in that and through that, Jesus will be exalted. <coughs> this is our prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.